Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thank you, Annette. And uh, look, today I do want to get right into it, but I say that and I'm about to uh, get sidetracked by quickly mentioning a few things before we introduce today's guest. Uh, first, I did want to mention that I'm recording on Bunurong Country today uh, in the old home office. And uh, some exciting things that we've got happening is at Awards Australia, we run the Young Achiever Awards and we're coming in to the judging announcements. It's one of the most exciting times because we get to celebrate so many incredible young people and share their stories. So jump on the social media. Facebook is a good one to start with or Instagram. Find the Seven News Young Achiever Awards and you will find so many great stories. Now, speaking of a great story and uh, an inspirational Australian, today I'm speaking to Erin, and I'm going to have to get a uh, pronunciation check on your surname in one second, Erin. I'm going to give it a go. Erin Farman. Not bad. Could be better. Erin has actually been recognised through the Community Achievement Awards Program in South Australia a number of times, actually, but recently as a finalist in our 2021 Community Achievement Awards. Erin's uh, the CEO of Youth Opportunities. And uh, as I just touched on, we love talking about young people and giving a platform for them to not only find opportunities, but excel in those. So it's really cool to speak to you today, Erin. Welcome. Thanks, Josh. It's so lovely to be here. Nina Mani from Ghana country today. I'm in Adelaide. Lovely. And Erin, how did I go on your surname? I think I didn't quite get it right. Oh, look, I go by Erin because the last name is a bit tricky. It's famine. Uh, it's German heritage. So my family were originally um, immigrants here to South Australia back whenever, way back in the day. Um, but I actually grew up in Queensland where they definitely didn't know how to say that name. <laughs> so I'm used to just going yeah. as Erin. You'd probably be all right in South Australia. A lot of German heritage, a lot of people with a German background there. Yeah, and I'm really loving the multicultural diversity of South Australia these days, particularly the schools we work in, um, in in the northern suburbs and that sort of very outer metro areas. It's just some, yeah, really wonderful multicultural representation. So I'm not that special anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, we may as well start. Um, you mentioned you were from living in Queensland uh, because you haven't always been CEO of Youth Opportunities. No. So what uh, is something bring you to South Australia from Queensland? Was it family? Was it you solo move or was it? Yeah. Well, I um, my father's family was from South Australia. My mother's um, from England originally, but her family had settled here and we were actually the outpost of the family. So I was born up in Queensland in a very small mining town. Uh, we lived in a town called Sapphire. So no surprises, it mines sapphires. <laughs> very literal naming. I, I went to high school in a place called Emerald. <laughs> so, so it was the gem fields. Um, and uh, yeah, 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 there's a place called Rubyvale. And, um, so yeah, it was a very, very small community. Um, and I'm, I'm 40 now. So, you know, some time ago, really limited access to um, health services out there. I mean, this is um, a big part of why I'm in the field I'm in now. My, my mother um, had bipolar. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember her telling me as a young child that the Royal Flying Doctor, doctor Service would fly into town once every couple of months. And she'd go and talk to them about the challenges she was having running. Um, we ran the town grocery store, little store. Um, she was a widow. My father had passed away when we were all three of us quite young. So we were latchkey kids from the age of eight. 
and she'd go and talk to these doctors about the challenges she was having and they'd say, oh, just have some more vodka, you'll be right. (laughs) I really hope that that is a very historical example of the types of healthcare that people are receiving anywhere in the world, let alone in rural areas. Um, But it is definitely something that um, has shaped me as a human, the tough environment that I grew up in, my mum doing the best she could, and it often wasn't good enough to keep us safe. Um, So when I was 15, actually, I heard on the radio, um, John Laws, because you don't get any other radio out there in the middle of nowhere, no Triple J, um, that the high school I was going to had the worst educational outcomes in the country. And at 15, I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, Most of the girls that are a year older than me are, you know, getting pregnant, no jobs in this community. I'm leaving. I'm going to Adelaide to live with our um, family members. I'm just getting out of here. And to my mum's credit at the time, she said, we'll all go. Um, My sisters and my mum. And so we sold the business, got rid of a house. We were homeless for a while couch surfing around while we were looking for somewhere but she recognized that yep it was time to move on and create something better for her girls um so that's what brought me to Adelaide the shock of hearing how awful life was going to be if I stayed there Uh, and as I say I have um hope and optimism and I see some good stories that young people in regional areas have more opportunities than that these days well that's yeah that's so interesting and full-on and scary a little bit and yes so many yeah. thoughts uh, about that story so when you moved to Adelaide was it a big shock I suppose or had oh yeah Josh we thought it was the big smoke so cute and I, I think I heard in one of your other podcasts you grew up in Harana in Adelaide so um yeah. you know that calling Adelaide the big smoke's a um interesting perspective <laughs> uh, but for us it was and then we were here for two years, um, finished off high school, and then we moved to London for a year. And that was when I realised that, oh, Adelaide is not that big. <laughs> Actually, there's much bigger out there in the world. Um, Adelaide's a small little puff of smoke. Yeah, in there. yeah. Big yeah, exactly. It's all relative. And I think that's what, um, and that sense of community that we we moved to London because my mum was having a, a mental health distress episode. So she was um, moved us there on a manic high and we weren't particularly safe for that year that we were there. But by then I was 17. So I was old enough to um, keep myself safe through that um, and make the most of that opportunity. But definitely noticed the lack of um, community connection and people around you just knowing you and looking out for you, um, which, of course, coming from a tiny country town, everybody knew you, whether you liked it or not. And then Adelaide's just kind of, for me, it's that lovely mid-range of it's big enough that there's a lot of wonderful, vibrant opportunities here, but small enough that we can have really close-knit communities if we work really hard at it. So true. I, th- I feel the same about <laughs> Adelaide. Um, so as you kind of developed into your career, you know, you're getting older, you're back in Adelaide now. Mm. Um, did you always in the community kind of sector or? No, um, this is new for me. Um, So Youth Opportunities has been around for 25 years and working with high school age kids. But of course, because I didn't go to high school here, I didn't know about it. So I didn't really find out about Youth Opportunities being a thing until I was in my mid-30s. I was working in water utilities and government sector and public service type areas for nearly 20 years, my first 20 years of professional career. Um, but I'd always volunteered places, volunteered with Smith Family and other youth organisations wanting to provide as much support as I could with my discretionary time and energy um, to help kids in our community just, you know, just wrap around them. I mean, parents can do the best they can do. Often that's great. 
sometimes it's not. And we just, you know, takes a village. So I'd always volunteered in, in lots of different ways with young people, mentoring kids at uni and all sorts of things. Um, but it, I, I made a new friend, a best friend, who um, actually is a youth ops graduate. She's in her 30s now and um, very successful and has children. But when she was 15, she was on a very different path and um, she did the Youth Opportunities Program and it totally transformed her life. So she works still here actually at Youth Opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, went off and did some things and then came and worked here probably nine years ago or so now. And she just made me fall in love with the organisation and the program and the outcomes. And so about five years ago, I joined the board as a volunteer, as a bit of a side hustle while I was working a very busy corporate job. Uh, yeah. And then a few years ago, the board asked me if I'd quit my day job and um, make Youth Ops my day job to come in as the chief executive as a succession plan for um, our chief executive at the time, Peter Carey, um, the, the ex-footballer who had yeah. tried a number of times to, he come out of retirement as a bit of a favour to the founder <laughs> to run the charity okay. and was trying to get back into retirement, <laughs> trying to find a succession plan, was running um yeah, organisations like this is it's a tricky balance. And so, yeah, they asked me if I'd um, come and run the organisation. I said, sure, you know, who needs money? Who needs <laughs> I want purpose? <laughs> Just take a pay cut and go, um, yeah, run youth opportunities. So that was probably yeah, three or four years ago now, I think. Time flies. Everything's just pre-COVID or post-COVID, really. <laughs> so true. It's so true. So just quickly um, asking about you know, that does seem like a pretty big decision to make. Was it an easy one or was it something you really had to get the old pros and cons out and uh, weigh up? It was so easy. Yeah, it was really, really easy. Um, once I processed the shock, because I wasn't, the chairman called me in for a meeting, I thought it was about something else and then um, said, what do you reckon? I went, oh, it's not what I thought we were here to talk about. Um, but it was a very easy decision. I think for myself, I grew up in really humble circumstances with very little and expect very little of the world. Um, and I have very high, what we call sense of agents, a really high locus of control. Um, I believe quite strongly that I have the power to um, navigate my future no matter what comes. Uh, and so when those sorts of things pop up, I jump at them. And my husband and I, um, similar backgrounds in a sense, so we make sure that we'd made our life as flexible as possible so that if we wanted to take a year off work, we could, we'd be fine, we'd be safe, we'd do what we needed to do because um, having grown up around so much mental ill health in my family but also in communities that I'd been in, um, I knew that that was what mattered more than some of the other things that we can very often get wrapped up in day to day. Um, so when I knew it was going to tick my purpose box and I'd already fallen in love with the organisation, the hardest part was leaving the the place I was at because I really loved that too. I wanted to clone yeah. myself and do them both. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a no-brainer. It has not been an easy ride, but I've never regretted it. Well, that's really cool. So I think I feel like now is a good time to um, rewind and touch on what you said about your your best friend who grew up and, uh, you know, maybe her life was pointing in one direction and she encountered youth opportunities. Yeah. And it's made a huge impact. So. Let's start with what what does Youth Opportunities do for people at that age? Yeah. Uh, so we run personal leadership programs. And so for us, a personal leader is somebody who, as I you know, just mentioned, this is why I fell in love, it's so aligned, um, is someone who leads themselves. Yeah. And so it's somebody who really understands um, what 
their version of success in life is. They've tapped into that for themselves and they have that really strong locus of control and understand that sure, life can be challenging and you can't have everything, but it's up to you to shape and, and make decisions every day to lead yourself forward. And that when you do that, um, whether you're doing it subconsciously or consciously, you have an enormous impact on the people around you as well. One of the reasons why our program, and we've, of course, we're continually developing and improving it, but over 25 years has remained so relevant and works across ages and across cultural um, diversity uh, is because ultimately we're asking young people, what is success to you and how do you move yourself forward? We don't, um, there's some amazing programs like the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, anything aligned to sustainable development goals. And if young people say that I want to be of service to a community or to my church or to my culture or to my family, um, then that's on them. If they want to serve themselves in that sense of just being the best version of themselves that they can be, then that's their version of success too. If the young person says that I want to be a hairdresser, then we go, great, let's get you there. If they say they want to be one of our graduates is um, a Eurovision opera singer person uh go off i want to go off in eurovision okay great then that's you know your version of success i i'm not telling you that i'm saying that it's your job to find that and to aspire to do that um and critically it's um the the programs are are fairly intensive they're they're 10 weeks a day a week for 10 weeks um, primarily and then two years of follow-up so it's not just about the initial inspiration and throwing some some tools at them it's it's really focused on habit formation and building the skills and habits and attitudes of successful personal leadership and often um, in the years that I've been involved with youth ops a lot of that has to start at their sense of self-worth and confidence we spend a lot of time with a lot of the young people in the early weeks of the program just helping them believe in themselves seeing the light inside themselves recognising their strengths, using a strengths-based approach for them to step outside their comfort zones. And from that, they can then grow and increase that sense of agents, increase that sense of confidence through what I call small acts of bravery. We scaffold them up to be brave enough to then go out and do all the things we know are critical to well-being and mental health around connection, relationship, um, opt- a sense of optimism because you now realise that you can't change everything but you actually hold a lot of power and that's why we can see really quick, I think 10 weeks is quite quick, it's a blink and it's gone, really, really quick improvements and sustained improvements in their well-being and their reduction of psychological distress um, risk going forward because it's that total attitude and mind shift and the building of the base skills and habits that will lead them through whatever comes their way because mm. life is tough it happens and even if they're okay today um, I mean the number of young people who um, I personally have interacted with through youth opportunities maybe in year 10 when they ran the program um, they were mostly focused on their career goals because life yep. around them was pretty stable good family um, great school I mean um, our our low socio schools hustle hard to support our kids often it's kids not taking up the opportunities (laughs) that are presented to them um young people uh so yeah our schools work really hard to support them if the young people can can take advantage of that um but it might be that in year 11 or 12 there's a family breakup which is sadly really really common and those young people then finding themselves obviously family breakdown is really challenging at the best of times, but now you've also got the logistics of living between two households, 
which, yep. I mean, is anybody in year 10, 11, 12, how they live between two houses and work out how to get part-time work. You know, a lot of these kids that we work with, young people, are, they've got part-time jobs. Some of them work up to 30 hours a week and they're trying to fit that in with their studies and exams. And, and then you want to throw transport between the two houses into it. So it might be that, you know, later in life, things will come our way that will challenge us. But having built skills and habits and confidence and the tools so you've got that strong baseline that you can navigate them from is really critical for the sustaining part because we don't want to just run a program in 10 weeks and then say, well, good luck. I'm sure you'll be great. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. work that way. <laughs> so, yeah, we have um, – we've kind of – that's the core of, of everything we do is this personal leadership concept. There's a, a 10-week program with about 30, 50 tools in the toolkit, two years of follow-up. We offer scholarships for our graduates. We've got online versions of our program, um, school self-delivered versions of our program so we can build capacity in community parent-teacher wraparound services so that we're helping the adults in those young people's lives change as well as the the young people so the young people don't have to do all the work. Um, lots of lots of things we wrap around it, but at, at its heart, it's all about the personal leadership and our full big decision framework, which is you're making big decisions every day, whether you realise it or not, mm. and just be really conscious of how you're making those decisions until they become habits and then you can kind of fall asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Yeah. No, there's so much to love about this. Uh, firstly, it's so comprehensive. And right. secondly, it's incredible that, um, you know, you're not putting a set guidelines or probably a better word is like set values and say, all right, to be successful, you need to do ABC. You're really helping young people identify their own values. You know, no one likes to be told what to do. Young people, I think even more so, they're trying to figure out things for themselves, not be told what to do. And I think that's super important and shows why there is that buy-in and that, that long-lasting impact because they believe what they're learning because it's important to them. So it's yeah, really cool. And another term I've heard is kind of sparked in my mind when you're talking about the small acts of bravery, which I thought was really um, a beautiful term, was healthy risk-taking as well. It sounds like that's kind of hand-in-hand, hand, those two things. Um, yeah, Josh, that's, that's really um, similar concept. And um, one of the things I love about the youth opportunities approach is it's got about 10 different psychological underpinnings. So we've our research and development team, um, which sounds big, but it's two part-time people <laughs> working very hard, um, but over 25 years, uh, which is a fair bit of work and continuing obviously with innovation now, which is what we were shortlisted for in the um, Community Achievement Awards, staying on yes. top of innovation. It's really taken lots and lots of really smart research and evidence-based psychological underpinnings and synthesised and combined them into really simple symbolism that anybody, particularly young people, but really anybody can understand, which again is why we can now take our program into an adult learning environment. So we work with young to youngish people now up to 30 in all sorts of different industries and we work with um, local football clubs and steelworks and trucking companies and construction companies and it's really simple symbolism so there's things like positive psychology which anybody listening that's in this world would have probably ticked off about five of them already <laughs> psychological underpinnings 
But positive psych is, is a big one. And for us, we have a symbolism of stars and black holes. So we talk to people about how you send stars and how you send black holes in your communication. Is that a star or is that a black hole? If you send stars, this is the impact it has on you and other people in terms of your self-image aura or your confidence about yourself and it rubs off on other people. And lots of people are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because, you know, you just know those people are burst with energy and the people that don't and the way you feel around them. And, you know, we could sit there and talk about positive psychology and the way the brain's wired and all of that, but they're not going to remember all that. What they'll remember is stars and black holes. And I still have graduates who are in their 30s who say, yeah, I remember youth opportunities, stars and black holes. I still remember that and I take that with me and I've taught my kids and I take it to work with me and that the symbolism that um, really sticks with you over the long term but at the base of it there's really smart evidence base um, and psychological theories that are, that are coming to life in our day-to-day but without people having to know that. <laughs> yeah so Erin this program is amazing what I wanted to ask is um, how would a young person at school uh, you know, in South Australia access this yeah, well, excitingly, we've we've made some changes in the last two years so we can roll this out um, really anywhere in the world, um, but certainly anywhere in Australia. Um, so when I came into Youth Opportunities, I'm a bit of a shocker for working late, so I get some of the late phone calls to the office. And I remember taking a phone call about two and a half years ago from a man whose daughter was in our Women's and Children's Hospital. She was there for recurring eating disorder, um, mental health challenges. Um, And he said that the hospital have given me your number and I'm just trying to get all the support I can get for my daughter. I don't know what to do. We're trying everything. Can she do your program? And I said, I'm really, really sorry. Um, At the moment, we only partner with schools. So um, in our traditional model, and and it's still our core model, we partner with school leaders. So principals, governing councils, wellbeing leaders, they say to us, hey, we need you as a part of our partnership team. We need to be doing things in our school. um, And we also want you to come in and and run your program because we really see that innovative, out of the box, someone else as well as us supporting young people is a really important important way we support um, our learners. So that's um, about 30 schools at the moment that we work with here in South Australia, none at the moment um, uh, interstate, but uh, we are working with some um, interstate counterparts to find out where we could add value at the moment. Um, And so that's how a young person at the moment would access our program is through the vision of their school leaders. Um, When we work outside of the school gates, when we're working with businesses and other community organisations like um, councils, um, we've done some work here with the Multicultural Youth Association, your organisations like that, the Youth Education Centre, which is attached to the prison here, then we're often working with those community organisations similarly who say, hey, I think we could partner on something here together. Um, as a charity, uh, so we are a non-profit organisation, we are limited by how much we can raise to be able to deliver our programs. The young people that we work with and their families never pay so that obviously puts a bit of a break on how far we can get. <laughs> um, when we're working with schools, it's really important to us that they are co-contributing. So they pay about a third and the other two thirds we've, we've raised from donations. So we have to hustle to fundraise to find people who want to invest in the future of young people and invest in our community uh, to be able to allow that. So we've at the moment we've got wait lists, um, which is um, tough. Um, we're 
always on the lookout for funding that we can attract to be able to meet the demand that's out there. We're only in a quarter of the low socio schools here in SA and we'd love to be in at least all of them, let alone all of the schools in general. Having said that, outside of the school gates, um, as I mentioned, um, if people have the means, then we have a social enterprise now called Generation Thrive and it's our same program, but it's offered through Generation Thrive. So you can find them generationthrive.com.au. As I say, it's the same program. It's a blended uh, online, so it's self-paced Moodle, one-on-one coaching via Zoom with a personalised coach. So it replicates that um, the group work type self-pacing aspect as well as the one-on-one coaching small acts of bravery setting that we have normally um, and and you can go online and you can click buy and there's after pay and you can make that happen at the moment we're just starting a fundraising campaign to be able to offer scholarships for young people there's lots of young people still that we get um, phone calls from saying I'd really love to access your program but I can't afford it so um, we're trying to fundraise to offer that so if that um if, if today I'd got the call from that gentleman at the Women's and Children's whose daughter was struggling, I could say, yes, sir, if you can afford to pay, I can give you access for your young person. And, and sadly, that does happen. Um, most days, uh, somebody rings up and says, um, I've heard about your great program and, and I or a young person in my life really want that. Um, when we work in businesses, it is mostly more at the um, leadership development end. So often they're young or youngish people who are doing okay, you know, like sporting clubs are already kind of semi-professional athletes and you've got to have good time management <laughs> to be able to do that and be at uni or, or work and have families. Um, so in those sorts of environments, often, not always, um, but often it is just about levelling up and going to the next level and building I mean, you can never have too many enterprise skills. You can never be the best um, or you've achieved your targets in how you communicate, your confidence, your relationship building, how you manage uh, difficult setbacks and goal planning. Uh, we can always all do better there. Uh, so, yeah, it's a real a real mixed bag. And, and, you know, as we were saying before, whatever people want to get out of the program, they'll get out of it because they can customise their own mm. goals and learnings from it. Sounds really cool. I want to do it. I know, right? Well, I've done it. And just, <laughs> I'm 40. I'm so, I don't mind stars and black holes. Let me at it. Um, and yes, I do know um, plenty of people, even into their early 30s. Um, it, it does work for anybody. It's just um, the team get a bit paranoid sometimes about people in their 40s not liking stars and black holes. Like, there's plenty of us who like that language. It's okay. <laughs> yep. Um, and so tell me about uh, starting Generation Thrive as a social enterprise. Was that important to yeah. have that distinction that it was? Um, you know, obviously Youth Ops you've talked about is a charity Mm. and then this is a bit different. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, Josh. And I come from a uh, professional um, corporate background, um, but it was a a government-owned corporation. So I I kind of thought at the time I'd say to people, it's the best of both worlds. It it really is. It's it's a non-profit in the sense that it's here to provide an essential community service that's required, but at the same time, it's got this commercial edge of it, knows it needs to be efficient and deliver an an excellent service uh, commercially. Uh, And so I think that's my perspective on non-profits um, in, in any organisations. We exist to add value to the community and particularly non-profits. You know, we're here because there's issues in our society. I'd love to be redundant. I'd love to actually fix the system so that the issues we're addressing didn't exist. Um, yeah. And perhaps I'd, I will one day and new ones will arise and, you know, we'll keep 
keep ourselves very busy adapting to the challenges in the world. But ultimately, my aspiration is that we don't exist at all. Um, so that's not happening anytime soon. So as we, as I said, I kept getting approached by people in the world who needed access to our programs. But as a a, a charity who fundraises um, to be able to provide opportunities to those facing the greatest challenges, there are people facing challenges that I couldn't afford to support. But they were saying, we'll pay, I'll pay. <laughs> so, well, I need to find a way to let you invest. You want to invest in this amazing, you know, Coca-Cola don't say, sorry, you've got too much money, don't come buy Coca-Cola. They, you know, it doesn't matter, you come buy Coca-Cola. Like, who am I to say that this isn't going to add value to them? I need to offer it. But we also, as a charity, we need to, as a nonprofit that's here for the people who need it most, we need to make sure that's still at our heart. It's our highest mm -hmm. priority that when we are working with young people facing significant challenges, that money's not a, a barrier in that sense. You know, you do everything you need to do to support that young person. And from the outside, in a commercial sense, that can look like over-servicing. You've given them too much support. You've you've talked to their parents for too long. You've been in there with the school working on a mental health plan with them for too long. We can't afford that. And that is not a world that we wanted to go into. We wanted to make sure that if we were working with young people facing challenges through our non-for-profit youth opportunities work, that we always go above and beyond to get the outcomes we need to fix the, the wicked social issues that we were here to address. And... Over here in Generation Thrive, we do an excellent, excellent program with amazing outcomes, uh, wonderful value, and you can pay for it. I don't need yeah. to fundraise for that. Um, and um, hopefully uh, a slight kickback in terms of that becomes um, one day a, a fundraising aspect as well in terms of supporting more young people through the program. Yeah, no, it's a brilliant distinction between the two and uh, really important, I think, to have those both because, as you said already, you know, you've they're serving a different um, community, a different cohort of people with different needs. And uh, yeah, I think you summed it up really, really well. I personally love social enterprise business model. I think it's fantastic because you don't, as you, you mentioned another couple of times, there's a few limitations on what a not-for-profit can do. And social enterprise sometimes doesn't have those. And you can maybe even create more impact, whereas NFP can maybe have more impact on one person can change one life more so whereas a social enterprise might be able to have smaller touches on multiple lives so there's such good benefits of both models yeah. and uh, i think it's really smart the way that you guys have, uh, have done that oh thank you josh yeah well i certainly leaned on a lot of our friends around australia who have been down this road um i do a lot of networking in industry i'm part of a national collaborative called together for youth and there's about 15 um non-profit and profit now organizations who work in this social emotional learning skills with high school age students and uh, some of those have social enterprises some have tried it didn't work some have tried it was successful and uh yeah we really lean on each other heavily to share as much knowledge as we can because we're all working in the same sector with the same aspiration um to just help kids thrive and um and we know that community is the best place to do that so building capacity and community is a real focus and so yeah we just um shamelessly share knowledge and tips and templates and <laughs> lessons learned and war stories and so yeah i'm definitely um riding the back of those i want wonderful people who've gone before yeah. me as well you have to share the war stories because they uh they teach you so much don't yeah. they yeah they're good one other thing you mentioned that was uh, very 
interesting and a uh, little bit, you know, the mind-blowing emoji. Um, <laughs> even though it's, a, you know, I think it's, I agree with the concept wholeheartedly is about not-for-profits should have that mindset or charities of, well, the end goal is to fulfil our need to achieve our mission. You know, sometimes some would say it's a bit utopian, but mm. I think it's if, if we had more of that mindset, I think it would be really beneficial. Yeah, and and as you say, um, maybe maybe people can't connect with it because it's too unrealistic. Maybe like, well, that's a stupid thing to aim for. Why would you bother? And that's the beauty of having visions and missions. You have a vision yep. that one day you will, and that's okay. Uh, but then you have a really tactical mission about really today, what are we here to do today and for the next five years? What's the difference we're going to make in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really fortunate here in South Australia. I mean, you know, we had Don Dunstan in his pink shorts and we've been innovating in the social space long before I came along here in South Australia. So we've got some amazing organisation, the Australian Centre for Social Innovation. We've got the Faith Fuller Foundation here, the Wyatt Trust, amazing organisations who um, I got to grow up around and learn that ethos from that um, it's more and better philanthropy. It's about system change, sustainable system change. It's about communities having the resilience and the capacity to look after themselves and and thrive themselves. And so it's not about us. And I think because I grew up in government as well, um, it was you know it's a bit the same. They always always made sure that you know if you if you needed to bow out, that the world could go on without you. It, it needs to be able to go on without you. Um, so yeah. But I think, well, as you say, maybe it's a little hard for people to connect with it because it's just a bit too far out there. But it's what I like to hold in my heart. Yeah, I think it's, it is you're right. It's a challenging concept. But once you think about it, you realise it's absolutely true. And why wouldn't you aim big? Why wouldn't you aim to change the world? Mm. Yeah, right. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you kind of touched on a term um, about social and emotional well-being and uh that's exactly, you know, and you also mentioned earlier that you're in innovation in that area, and that's exactly the category that you were a finalist of the Breakthrough mm. Mental Health Research Foundation, which is another, I would say, very innovative mm. not-for-profit, um, and their award, the Innovation and Mental Health, Social and Emotional Wellbeing Award. What was it like to be selected as a finalist in that award? You know, was I'm sure it was great, uh, I guess, um, acknowledgement of your work, and um, what did it mean for the team as well? Yeah, it meant an enormous amount to the team. Um, I think it's a bit of a South Australian thing in general, but also a small um, charity like ours just been humbly going about its business for 25 years, doing phenomenal things, not shouting it from the rooftops, A, because you don't have the money to, you're too busy doing the work. (laughs) You don't really have time to be spending time and money on telling people about it other than to try and mobilise some philanthropy. Um, But B, just because you, you don't do it, for the accolades um but to be able to say to our team wow um you you know it because you're out there every day changing lives helping young people change their own lives you know that but somebody else has looked at it and is telling us that we're staying innovative and as an organization that's this year's our 25th year as well um that's not super new and to tell an organisation that's 25 years old that it's still innovative today and that you haven't just done something, the same thing for 25 years, 
that you're still keeping up, particularly in the youth space where their lives are changing every six months, just massive cycles of change for young people in our community at the moment, um, is really uh, validating. It helps us um, just really focus uh, on what we're doing and tell ourselves that we're going the right way. And it um, gives assurance too to our funders. There's a lot of funders that invest with us. We, we're not a high-profile, well-known organisation like some of our allies like Variety and other organisations like that that people give to us because they um, know that we're really smart, we're really sustained outcomes. Uh, and so for them, it's like, yeah, yeah, there you go. Somebody else agreed with me that uh, me who's been donating to youth opportunities because I see and I believe in it. Um, yeah, they think so too. Okay, good. That's I'll, I'll, I'll keep on that path and I'll tell my friends about it and I'll tell them that kids are doing it tough and that they need support as well. Um, so yeah, it's a really, a really lovely thing um, to do. And it's very validating for our young people too, because we we spend a lot of time talking to them um, about not thanking us. Don't thank us for the work. You've done the work. You mm. stepped outside your comfort zone. You changed your attitude. You've built new habits. You've developed the confidence. You've had to do the work. So we're only innovative and in getting outcomes because you're putting it in. Yeah. We just happen to be here. <laughs> Which speaks to what you said earlier. That That's the whole purpose of it is that helping them with their self-worth and the uh, you know, it can be the hardest thing sometimes for people to say is that, yes, I've done a good job mm. saying that out loud, like people are uncomfortable with yeah. it. But it's just should be normal. Yeah, we should be proud of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. even when we fail, we should be proud of the growth and that we tried and that we were brave and that we'll pick ourselves up and learn from it and try again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so how many people... You know, I've just got a couple of questions I wanted to ask. Sure. And then I'll try and quickly uh, fit them in. Pass around. <laughs> How many uh, people, and apologies if you did mention this, I didn't hear it earlier. Um, How many young people do you think would go through the Youth Opportunities Program in a year? Yeah, so it's about 2,000 young people that we work with. Uh, out of that, there's about another 800 or so graduates, so brand new graduates of our program, yeah. and about 1,200 or so young people who are in those post years, so usually in year 11 or 12 some of them also beyond their um, secondary education off to wherever tertiary or further education or even um, in jobs. So mostly um, new graduates and the two years engagement at a hundred, couple of hundred or so um, adults uh, who might be um, parents, teachers, caregivers. Um, lately, we also um, have worked out how to really meaningfully bring in um, quite large teams of interns, youth work and social work interns into our business. So we've got about six each semester at the moment. There's, I think, three of them in different little bubbles of our office today yeah. on their placement, having really meaningful placements where they are out interacting um, at the moment on Zoom, uh, but in a few weeks, hopefully out face-to-face -face, um, with young people delivering really strong evidence-based content, but Again, because of the symbolism in our program, you can actually, as long as you've got the psychological underpinning, you can pick it up and deliver it really quickly. Um, at this, and, you know, they'll be doing one-on-one -on -one interviewing and mandatory report management with many of these young people, which is um, phenomenal for them. So, yes, yeah, probably another 10 or 20 interns each year that we're building the future generation of amazing social and youth workers out there, which is really great. Um, so, yeah, a couple of thousand uh, so about over the 25 years, we're up to around 15,000 or so graduates of our program oh. all around the world now. 
Um, we've got multi um, generational graduates now. So we've had, particularly last year, we had a couple of parents stand up at graduations and say, oh, I did this program when I was in high school. Now I'm really excited that my son and my daughter's doing it. Um, so that's, yeah, really rewarding to start seeing some of the schools we've been in since day one. We've been there for 25 years. We're part of the furniture now. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's really lovely to see. It's incredible, isn't it, to have uh, mm. multi-generational. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. And in really large culturally diverse families too, we've got a couple of schools here that are very heavily culturally diverse. It's really, really common that you'll have young people with their family at a graduation it'll be cousins and older brothers and sisters and maybe even aunts or uncles who are kind of not far off in age and they'll easily be seven in a family group who've done youth ops <laughs> cousins and sisters and brothers and yeah. and those kids in in some of those schools those young people from the day they start in that high school they're waiting to do youth ops and they just they're devastated if they don't get in because again unfortunately we're limited by funding so in some of these schools we do have really long wait lists of young people who apply to do the program um, and yeah for them to be able to get to do the program that all the people that they really admire in their family um, got to do and shaped them as young people um, it makes makes a really big difference to them and so what's uh, this time of year like for for you know for you the, the workers at youth ops and also the, the students you know we're just starting the, uh, the school year yeah would, would students launch into it you know, early in the year or is something that happens a bit later? Yeah, it's a great question. So particularly our school-based model, it's really, again, in partnership with schools, they we work with them to find out when in the year is right for their students. So in some of the really large schools where they're every term and there's 18, so generally programs of 18 young people at a time, yep. there's 18 young people graduating every school term. In some of the smaller schools, particularly the regional schools, like out in Tumby Bay, um, they've got like 14 kids in the school. They'll all do it in year uh, in third term. Yeah. So they'll just do one big program in term three and they're done. Um, our online program that we run in a number of schools, they'll run it as a subject line over a semester and the teachers will run it themselves as part of their curriculum. So they we support them to do that, but they kind of run it whenever they want to run it as part of the personal learning plan subject. Um, so, yeah, it's really, again, it's that community-based approach. Like, we've got a program. We can run it lots of different ways or we can teach you to run it. You tell us when it fits because you've got enough to worry about as a school. <laughs> yeah. Is there be, really uh, enough? You say it like it makes so much sense, which it does. But I think it's quite rare. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Think, hey, yeah. Our program. Yeah. How's it going to work for you? Most people would say, no, here's our program. You do it now. Yeah. And you do it like this. So yeah. that's, uh, that is quite innovative. It's very impressive. Oh, well, thank you. I think you put what matters most at the start and you work really hard to get there. And what matters to us is that the kids and the school communities get the value out of it. And when you come at it from that, it means that you might not do as many programs because you might be busy working with the school. Um, it's not a particularly scalable model. <laughs> you know, it's something that requires a lot of relationship management with schools. Yeah. And that might mean that you run one less um, across the years, uh, but it's, you know, it's what matters. It's what gets the most, we've worked out after 25 years, it's, it's what gets the most sustained local impact for individuals and their communities. So it's what we do. Well, certainly incredibly inspirational what you do and what Youth Opportunities does. But uh, I do want to ask you, Erin, who or what is it that you know, inspires you personally? Oh, man, kids. I love hang. and I say kids because I also hang out with a lot of little, little kids. I just love 
young people, even when they're really down in the dumps and they're, or, or they're struggling with really significant mental health distress, and there unfortunately is a lot of that um, these days. You know, we know that death by suicide is the leading cause of death for young people. We know that one in four young people will develop a diagnosed mental health disorder um, in their, you know, by the time they're 24, in their early years. Um, but there's something playful and optimistic about kids in amongst even all of that that um, just inspires me because it's their potential. They, they have these moments of being super sparkly and not knowing the boundaries in the world and not knowing what you are and aren't supposed to do. Uh, and that's just really, really magical to be around. One of my favourite books is um, being better grown and becoming better grown-ups. And it's how do we as adults in the world um, become better grown-ups? And a lot of it is like um, his, the favourite line that, that Josh Montague has written in the book is about having a sense of childlike wonder, not mm. being childish as an adult, but having a sense of childlike wonder in the world. What is possible? What is out there? What? What? How could this be different? As you know, kids have that naturally because they haven't learned everything yet. And then we get older and, well, we haven't learned anything, everything either, but we sort of forget that <laughs> we think we have. Um, sure. I, uh, I just love hanging out with kids. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that childlike wonder at seeing something or uh, learning something new for the first time. And sometimes we forget we've seen it 100,000 times. <laughs> if you can just somehow put that lens on of this is incredible, like just. Yeah. You can be inspired by simple things. And I've got one little mini anecdote that just really, what you said, you know, it reminded me of this, was camping recently with um, some friends, you know, some different type, uh, families with kids of different ages and, and not kids or whatever. But 10-year-old boy is the oldest of the kids and um, he's basically the babysitter. <laughs> he was great playing with kids. and But he's at an age and he's quite a mature 10-year-old where he actually really enjoyed talking to the adults and where having great conversations with him. And there was one moment he'd just finished playing with all the kids and I think we're about to have some some lunch. And he sits next to me and says, ah, kids these days. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. And it was like kind of reminded of what you said, like that kid-like wonder, the childlike wonder, and that you can be inspired by kids. Mm-hmm. And I uh, just thought this kid, I can tap into his energy and his uh, mindset. You know, it's, it's, it was a really wonderful thing. Yeah. And help him be his, his best self. Like, yeah, so I love being that adult in kids' lives that backs them and helps them fly and cheerleads for them and, you know, tells them where they're stepping wrong as well. You know, it's not all rah-rah. They've got to know um, assertive communication and boundaries and the impacts they're having on other people, um, which, again, is why you know, the stuff we do here is so smart in terms of walking that line and, and being optimistic and happy, but not happy every day. It's not about moods. It's about an enduring sense of happiness. And so to be able to be that person or just laugh at his joke. Like, yeah. Just, just, yeah, mate, that was funny. Good on you. I see yeah, you I looking after the kids and you're all right. Hey, like just being that old adult for them too um, lights me up. <laughs> now, uh, one very important question is uh, where can people connect with you, find out more about you and your opportunities? Oh, yeah. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I hang out there. Um, The spelling of my last name, I guess, will be in the show notes somewhere. (laughs) Don't guess that. Um, 
www.stars.com.au is our website. If you see big blue and green star, that's us. You found us. Stars are very important to us in our program, positive communication. Uh, so we are always looking for people who want to invest in young people, whether that's through their time, treasure, talent, or their tribe. We'll take networks, cheerleaders, funding, obviously, opportunities for our kids um, through youth opportunities. Uh, and uh, I mentioned our social enterprise, generationthrive.com.au. So that's for anybody anywhere um, in the world uh, that wants to access our programs for themselves or young and youngish people in their world, in their businesses. Um, I know plenty of people who've um, yeah put that opportunity in front of their kids, my stepkids that I did, um, so, oh, we can finally get you to do the program. Um, yeah, so have a look at either of those websites. That's fantastic. And, yeah, I hope everyone does check it out because um, it is a wonderful program. And definitely connect with Erin because, uh, yeah, you're a good follow on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Ditto. Erin, and just type in ETOPS. I'm sure it'll pop up anyway. So <laughs> about the surname. Well, uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time today, Erin. Really enjoyed this chat and uh, look forward to following what ETOP Opportunities is doing this year and beyond. Another Thanks, 25 Josh. years time, I'm sure, will be uh, yeah. taking over the world by that time. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com, for more details. Until next week, stay safe and remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.